0: Or what do mitochondria do into those, those cells and what is their function?
1: What happens in people when they have too much doxycycline or high doses? What happens to them?
0: Well, so they can get you know muscle disruption or muscle dysfunction mostly and other associated organs because this antibiotic, what it does is eventually will disrupt the mitochondrial function itself. And therefore, the long use and high doses are not not advisable.
1: What about from a histology perspective? Have you taken cells from these mice and looked at, counted the number of mitochondria on average and looked at their morphology under microscope to see what's changed?
0: Yeah, so we have looked at, yeah, in great detail, something we published. And so what do you find that these mitochondria, one, they have abnormal Christy?
1: Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up and check in the description for buy me a coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. PhD. He's the Joy and Bill Harvard Endowed Chair and Professor of Genetics. We're going to talk about mitochondrial genetics and mitochondrial disease. He also has uh, expertise in genetics, pathology, dermatology, and environmental health. He's the founding editor-in-chief of the Mitochondrion Journal as well, and the director of the Cancer Genetics Program. So very, very busy, busy guy. Kishab, thanks for coming.
0: Delighted to be here, Richard.
1: If you would, tell me a bit about your current research. What are you working on?
0: So. Our main interest is obviously the mitochondria and we're taking this mitochondrial genetics into different pathologies. So in the last couple of years, we discovered something which seemed to be pretty unique in the discovery we made. That was to do with mouse model we developed to identify the role of mitochondria in different organs. So, so far, what we know and knew about mitochondria was In isolated test tubes, we know it produces energy, it produces reactive oxygen species. But we made a mouse model where we can disrupt the mitochondrial function at will in any tissue or any organ or any uh, cell type and ask the question, what does or what do mitochondria do into those, those cells and what is their function?
1: When you say disrupt, what do you mean? Like what is do you downregulate the metabolic function of the mitochondria or what do you do specifically?
0: So what we developed was a knockdown function of mitochondria where we took a dominant negative polymerase gamma. So in the mitochondria, you have one polymerase which drives the replication of mitochondrial DNA. And we looked at various different mutations uh, in the last several years. And what we found was that one particular mutant functions as dominant negative. So we clone that, we express that in the mice, in the whole animal, and what we found that these mice show first the disruption function, uh, so therefore you have low enzymatic activity, the super complexes are down-regulated, uh, all of that com- eventually culminates into mitochondrial dysfunction.
1: Okay, so what kind of, I don't know, what effects are you seeing when you disrupt mitochondrial function in mice? You know, what are the immediate effects? What are Slightly longer-term effects.
0: So within a few weeks, and I would call it immediate. What we discovered was that mouse developed wrinkles, and they lost their hair, and it was followed by other organ dysfunction as well. But that wrinkle formation and loss of hair was very uh, striking. So we have been focusing on on last several years, actually almost two to three years. What does it mean? Because one would think when we made this mice that these mice will die of cardiac problem or brain problem. They eventually do. And what else we can do is we can tweak the the doses of the disruption. So based on the, the system we have, where we can conditionally express the gene, which disrupt the mitochondrial function. And depending on those, we can do less or more.
1: Okay. Um. How do you do this disruption? Is this genetic engineering before the mice are born or while they're alive, is this like a gene therapy that does this?
0: So if you disrupt the gene which we are using, which is polymerase gamma, what happens that what's called embryonic lethal. So mice will die because it's an essential gene. So the way we went around asking the question about mitochondrial function is various uh, different organs and tissues was do it conditionally. So when we take a dominant negative, polymerase gamma mutant. It's only expressed when you feed the mice doxycycline, for example. And that way, we can turn on this gene and disrupt the mitochondrial function at any age of the mice. Uh, obviously, if we do it too early, in the embryonic lethal, the mice will die. So on average, we've been doing after four to eight weeks, and we follow the, the study of those organs.
1: So you're saying, so six to eight weeks, the mice are still considered young mice. Is that Do you inject them at that point or, you know, what's this protocol look
0: like? So that's correct. So they are young mice. So what we do is we feed doxycycline in the chow. So whatever their food is, we add doxycycline to it. And then that doxycycline turns on the gene of interest, which will disrupt the mitochondrial function. Without doxycycline, (laughs) that gene will not be expressed and therefore you will not expect any disruption of the mitochondrial function only after when you feed the doxycycline.
1: I thought doxycycline in people was like a common uh, antiparasitic or a drug that's been used for a while. Any that's of this uh, analogous in people, do they have the same effects?
0: That's right. So doxycycline is an antibiotic with you know in small doses. It has been used over I would say 10 to 15 years in animal studies that you know it works fine. There's no issues in terms of the toxicity. If you take a higher dose That is, uh, then it will affect like any, you know, on humans or mice, uh, same way.
1: Oh, so what what happens in people when they have too much doxycycline or high doses? What happens to them?
0: Well, so they can get, you know, muscle disruption or muscle dysfunction mostly and and, uh, other associated organs because uh, this antibiotic, what it does is eventually will disrupt the mitochondrial function itself. And therefore, the long use and high doses are not, not advisable.
1: Okay, so by disrupting the mitochondria, what are you figuring out in the mice? And again, can you look at data from humans and see analogs?
0: So what we do is, when we disrupt it, we're looking at many different organs. The one we are focusing from the last two three years is is the skin and the hair. And because that's, you know, there's a big market, actually. I have a startup company called UR Biosciences, so that also feeds in what we do in the laboratory into those research as well. So as you know, the you know, who wants wrinkle as you age, one, what happens, your mitochondrial function declines. So this particular platform we have developed is keeping an eye on that area of research because as you age, your mitochondrial function decline, you have less of energy, and therefore also what you have is associated uh, aging-related diseases. So the skin wrinkle also is part of the aging process, loss of hair, you know, androgenic, you know, alopecia you see when the androgen drops or so what we are focusing on is looking at the various different functions of mitochondria in the skin. So one obviously we shown the skin wrinkle. What we have also shown is the senile lentigens. So this is a fancy scientific name for hypo and hyperpigmentation of the skin. So SBA is we, as we, we will see the you know the skin in some patches you will have lighter skin color, other patches were dark. And what we discovered that that was also due to the mitochondrial dysfunction. So our mice clearly shows those hypo and hyperpigmentation. And then we were also looking at other effects of annoying you know, the skin and what was striking. And that is what the basis of our uh, company is. And that to do with the, when we restore the mitochondrial function in the mice. So you can imagine when we feed doxycycline, Uh, to the mice, will turn on, it will disrupt mitochondrial function, and we will see the phenotype. But then when we take away the doxycycline from the food, from the chow, what we discovered was that it restored the skin to normal and the hair came back. So that was first time showing that a direct effect of mitochondria function involvement in skin wrinkle and loss of hair.
1: including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Is there an opposite compound that will uh, boost the mitochondria or does it not work like that?
0: No, so that's what we are, are looking at and that's the basis of your there's a drug discovery program. We have artificial intelligence platform we are using. So that's the goal. And it will not only help with the restoration of the hair and you know, mitigation of the skin wrinkle, it will also help in terms of other diseases as well. There's a whole field of mitochondrial diseases, which are supposedly, you know, until recently, were called rare diseases, but the combined effect of those diseases, like one in 2,000 children born have mitochondrial disease. And the primary cause of disease is mitochondrial dysfunction. And so, and unfortunately, there is not much for those children or adults who suffer from the diseases. We'll be trying to help those uh, patients as well if we discover how to restore the mitochondrial function in in that area as well.
1: What about from a uh, histology perspective? Have you taken cells from these mice and looked at, counted the number of mitochondria on average and looked at their morphology under microscope to see what's changed?
0: Yeah. So we have looked at, uh, yeah, in great detail, uh, something we published. Uh, and so what do you find that these mitochondria, one, they have abnormal cristi and what happens due to the mitochondrial dysfunction, the immune cells, get in, infilt, actually infiltrate in the skin, hipo- epidermis, and they actually lead to the inflammation of the skin. Also, we have looked at uh, maestro's other genes which are involved in aging, for example, Clotho, which is down-regulated. So the mitochondria themselves, the number doesn't change because we are not interfering with the number per se. We are interfering with the function of mitochondria by depleting the mitochondrial DNA content.
1: Okay, so the number of mitochondria appears to stay the same.
0: I mean, does
1: anyone know the biogenesis rate of mitochondria and how many are present in mouse or human cells at any one time on average? I'm sure it depends on tissue type, but what are some averages?
0: Well, so is anybody's guess. I don't think we have the tool to exactly find the number of mitochondria. So say, for example, in human oocyte, it can be anywhere 200,000 mitochondria and then you combine that with the mitochondrial DNA in those mitochondrion. So if you have 200,000 mitochondria and then say 10 times you uh, know, more uh, mitochondrial DNA in each one of those, so it becomes a, actually a population genetics within the cell. But I would not be guessing how many mitochondria, but we do know it differs from tissue to tissue. For example, when we... Knock down the function, as I said, we were expecting that, well, the heart and lung and brain would be affected because they require a lot more energy and they require a lot more mitochondria. But it turns out it has a major effect on the skin. And the skin cells don't have that many mitochondria as the heart and lung. So what it tells us that those, whatever mitochondria number there is in the skin is extremely important and regulated. And if you mess up with those mitochondria in the skin, you get a, a strong phenotype. Well, maybe
1: because of the low number, there's uh, yeah, there's fewer mitochondria to uh, take up the slack and therefore you have a pronounced effect.
0: That's so right. Is there
1: a way to, um, I don't know, with the expression of some compound or the, you know, the metabolization of another compound, are you able to um, approximate the number of mitochondria in a cell without being invasive?
0: No not, not really. I mean, you can look at within the cell. the other problem in counting the number is the mitochondria go fission and fission, no, undergo fission and fusion, so at any given time when this fission and fusion is going on, that number is changing within you know millisecond. So how do you actually count a number and what you count will be given at that time and that moment, so we need better technology to count the number uh, and one can develop a a microscopy you know or videography, where you do it over the long period of time in a certain cell type and and try to do it in vivo and in different organs and different cell type but that we are not there yet
1: what what causes fission what causes fusion has anyone established that
0: yeah so that depends on the metabolic demand of the cell so you know, if, if the mitochondria are injured, that metabolic demand will change and they will basically change their fission fusion capacity.
1: Well, under what circumstances is there more fusion and under what circumstances is there more fission? And biogenesis. I mean, does biogenesis come from the, the you know, the act of fission or is it a third process?
0: So one can imagine that the biogenesis can come through the act of fission. But it can also be by nuclear control of increasing the number of mitochondria by other means. Fission can, you know, basically create more mitochondria, but the process also involves getting rid of that damage or dysfunctional mitochondria. So in the fission, uh, you can chop that off and that can go through the mitophagy and get cleaned up. Uh, that's one way of maintaining the quality control. Uh, but... but there are mechanisms to restore mitochondrial function in the cell. And um, we actually published several years ago where we talked about epigenetic control of nuclear uh, DNA by mitochondria. So when we disrupted the mitochondrial function, there were a set of genes which are turned on, and actually they methylated the nuclear genome. And we have identified a couple of microRNA and other things which are so I gave an idea of what we call m- mitochondria checkpoint. Later it became the metabolic checkpoint. Others uh, used it and broaden it. And the idea there is that if there is mitochondrial dysfunction, the cells have to make a cell fate decision. In other words, mitochondria given the involvement in apoptosis, the cell have decided if there is really big damage and they cannot repair the, the mitochondrial function. They have to trigger a pathway to uh, basically go on apoptosis and sell death, But the checkpoint will try to restore that mitochondrial function. And the one our contribution was is looking at methylation of the nuclear uh, genes and, and DNA.
1: So, um, I don't know. Again, that's a whole other catalog, I guess, of up or down regulation based on epigenetic effects of mitochondria. I'm sure there's probably volumes and volumes to be written on that. Any um, Anything that jumps out at you, what is a significant contributor to the epigenetic changes that happen in mitochondria specifically?
0: So, you mean the mitochondria drives the epigenetics or epigenetics drives the mitochondria?
1: Well, what, what kind of effects, I mean, what do what various drugs or what do various effects have specifically on, you know, uh, methylation or demethylation of mitochondria and their so up the, or down regulation of their activities?
0: The methylation of the mitochondrial DNA is controversial. There are some groups have shown that their mitochondrial DNA is methylated, but some have not been able to uh, reproduce it. But there is likely to be in certain circumstances of physiological state that mitochondrial DNA is methylated. They have shown actually a group in Virginia showed I cannot remember the name at the moment, is that there is a DNMT, which is a transferase isoform which localizes to mitochondria. And the idea was that particular DNMT, the one which may methylate the mitochondrial DNA. But other way around, where we showed that the disruption in mitochondrial function lead to large number, we looked, actually, we utilized restriction landmark genomic scanning to map the entire genome in the, the nucleus. And we found hundreds of those genes were were methylated. And the idea, that's where the idea came from, the mitochondrial chip. So I would think that, you know, it's going both, both directions, you know. Um,
1: The effects of doxycycline, have they been quantified on exactly how they affect the mitochondria? Do you know down to the genes and to the method of action on what's happening with them, or is it still somewhat mysterious?
0: So it is somewhat known, and that is uh, the way doxycycline does, that it interferes with the ribosomal biosynthesis. So these antibiotics, so mitochondria have their own ribosome, and over the time if you use for too long, I use the doses which are toxic that will lead to the inhibition of the ribosomes in the mitochondria, and therefore they cannot drive the protein synthesis in the mitochondria. So that will that's how it will interfere. Uh, there is enough known about it. Okay. What about the fission
1: or fusion cycle? Maybe it, um, I don't know. Maybe it predisposes mitochondria to fuse. Could that be determined, or you know, does it? Uh... Does it push more for fission? Like that balance of fission, fusion, you know, biogenesis, how is that affected, do you think, by doxycycline or other compounds?
0: I don't know that. I have to look at it. But I I would think that dysfunction, dysfunctional mitochondria will certainly affect fission and fusion. So I'm not sure which direction or which will be more or which will be less.
1: I mean, experimentally, how could one determine that? Do you think that's important or is it just like, eh, not very important. Well, like how does really, anyone determine these dynamics?
0: Well, it's not really important per se, but uh, now I'm curious uh, to see if anything uh, in the literature. But, but what we know is the mode of action of doxycycling. So the direct target is the ribosome biosynthesis. So you know when that is being inhibited, therefore your mitochondria are not going to, to work properly if you have high doses or low, for a long time. You know, so whether the cells are adapting through fission, fusion, methylation, and all that is secondary to the effect what you know, doxycycline or uh, you know is is doing.
1: I don't know. What what headway do you think you're going to make over the next couple of years? Are you close on the, the tail of answering any of these questions you're working mm-hmm. on? Or what you know, what do you think is likely to be figured out by you?
0: Well, so we are on to a couple of things. Uh, using the platform we have developed. One, obviously, we want to follow up uh, with UR Biosciences is to look at skin wrinkle and hair loss and skin aging. Obviously, we are interested in pigmentation uh, because also one can imagine uh, the freckle. Uh, When you go out in the sun, you get freckles and there's nothing out there to understand how freckles form and what you can do about it. Most of those sun creams, they don't protect you as much as one would think. So that's one area, but we have also embarked on Ovarian aging. So these mice, what we have developed, show premature ovarian aging, and there is a interest from my laboratory and and, uh, and globally to extend the menopause to understand how ovarian aging occurs uh, because ovaries age faster than the woman, chronologically speaking. So we have got clear idea that how disruption of mitochondrial function is doing that. And obviously, I'm interested in uh, another reproductive organ that's to do with the prostate so that's a work in progress and uh, these are all part of the you know aging process so when women you know around fifty they have menopause obviously the ovarian the ovaries are aged for men it's the you know, same thing as the prostate so those three things I think is fascinating to me and and also it will lead to some translational research which can help people. Okay, very good. Well, Kishore, where can people
1: find out more about your work? Where can they go?
0: So, uh, one can look into keshofsingh.org So, that's my uh, name without the middle initial .org or, in fact, if you just type mitochondria.org, I took this domain name actually in 1999. Oh, wow. And actually, I used to have .com as well, but I gave it away as so a friend of mine has it. Mitochondria.org is me. Wow. That's really cool. That was nice
1: of you. That's a great gift, you know?
0: Yeah. Huh. Excellent. Well, very very good, Kishore. Great to
1: talk to you. And thank you for what you do and for what you're working on.
0: And same here. Thank you.